kings and the Lord of lords. And the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He started as a lamb of God. He will end up as the lion of Judah. When we hear the word lion of Judah, meaning he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, Satan was not successful in stopping the plan of God. By the way, I want to go back. Satan even uses his disciples to stop the plan of God. Who was that? Who is that? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying about the wrong thing. <laughs> Who was the disciple? <laughs> Who was the disciple Satan is using? It was Peter. You remember Peter? When, when, when the Lord was praying on the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and Judas came, with, with these Roman soldiers? <laughs> with these Roman soldiers? And then, uh, of course, uh, soldiers said, they, they, they have plan. And, and the plan is, the person whom I kiss, you arrest him. And then Judas Kiss Jesus. Mwah. Are you familiar with Judas' kiss? You know, you have a friend and then they kiss you. And at the back, that's Judas' kiss. <laughs> they are friends in front, but at the back, Judas' kiss. Anyway, we're not talking about Judas' kiss. Peter came along. And then he chopped the head of who? Malchus. It's good, you know. The Lord really is a powerful God because he put back the ears of Malchus. But anyway, Christ was so upset. It's because, uh, you know, along the way in the, as, as in the relationship, the Lord already told them that he will die and he will rise on the third day. But of course, they lack faith. Remember this, that the disciples, disciples don't jump into the conclusion that when, when the Lord picked the disciples, they were automatically they need to grow as they walk with the Lord. So don't jump into the conclusion that if you become a Christian, you automatically... No. Along the way, God uses things for us to grow. Your mistake, our stupidity, the Lord will use those for us to grow. Same thing with the disciples. And so let's not be judgmental with other people. Lord said, get thee behind me, Satan. You see, even the disciple Satan is using. But of course, we now go to the conclusion that was Satan successful? Nope. Christ said, it is finished. Yes, the redemption is complete. This is what we're talking about. No one can stop the purpose and the plan of God for his church, 
for you individuals as we grow in our relationship with the Lord. Now, what are the biblical truths about the power of God? This, we will, of course, start with this. And so, as a preliminary thoughts, here are four scriptural truths about the power of God. Number one, God can do all things. Amen. God can do all things. See, nothing is any harder for God than anything else. This is a foreign concept to us since, you know, when you lift 100 pounds, it's definitely harder as compared to lifting 10 pounds. So that's because our power and strength are limited. But since God's power is unlimited, nothing is too hard for the Lord. And this is Job echoed this truth when he said to God, I know you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Oh, yes. I know that you can do everything and no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Job acknowledges the power of God in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of trials, in the midst of his friends condemning him, Eliphaz, Bildad, and so far. He still acknowledges God is powerful and he believes that God has a plan for him. Jesus also echoed it as well in the context of saying that one thing, you remember the story about the rich man, when the rich man approached Jesus Christ? Uh, this rich man is really, you know, he, he said, I follow all the Ten Commandments. I did not commit any mistake. He, he has this self-righteousness from his heart. He approached Jesus. He wants to go to heaven. And the Lord said, you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> follow the Ten Commandments. Follow the rules. I did, he said. And one thing the Lord said, one thing you lack, sell everything that you have. Of course, he was just testing him about who is in his heart. And now, when he heard that, he what? He went away. Three words, three letters, not three words, three, three letters, sad. Why? Because he cannot get rid of his wealth in his heart, literal wealth that he trusted. And then he said, it is easier for a camel to enter into the needle of the eye. And it's impossible, he said, for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. But Christ said, with God, all things are what? Are possible. Because as you read this, this, uh, this chapter 10, the, you know, the disciples were really amazed by what the Lord is saying. Now, think about this. We sometimes think about other people. How many of you, you are praying for someone that the Lord will just save them? And the Holy Spirit will convict them. You know, sometimes when we pray for them and they act differently or we think that it's impossible for them to be saved, we give up. <laughs> we say, well, it's impossible for, for him to get saved. It's impossible. You know, when the Lord said, nothing is too difficult. Nothing. Because God, for God, all things are what? Are possible. See, 
your role and my role is to just pray for that individual whom we are praying for. You know, sometimes the problem is we, we take the role of the Holy Spirit. And when we share the gospel to them, be saved, be saved. No. Be patient. Lovingly pray for them. Because with God, all things are what? Possible. Number two, not only God can do all things, but nothing is too hard for God. In Genesis chapter 18, uh, most of you probably uh, you read the story that shows nothing is too hard for God. And of course, it's the story about Abraham and Sarah. Uh, they had tried to have a child because God promises them to be the father of all nations. But uh, they were already old. And they're not having a child. So that the purpose of God or the plan of God will be fulfilled through them. And in fact, did you know what worse here is this, that they help the plan of God to be fulfilled. You know what? When you hear the words or God's plan for you, it's very clear. Don't be impatient. If you know God's plan for you is clear and it's not happening yet, be patient. Don't help the Lord. Why? Here they help the Lord. And what happened? Sarah gave who? Agar, the maid. Okay? Sleep with her. And of course, it's a no-no in, in the sight of God. And lo and behold, uh, she bore a child by the name of what? Ismael. And of course, you know the rest of the story. Until now, there is this what? Fighting and bickering. Now, but here in our story, when they were well past the childbearing age, God appeared to Abraham. They were almost 100 years old. How many of you here are almost 100 years old? <laughs> and, and, and God appeared to Abraham and told Sarah that she would give birth to a son. You know, uh, she was just uh, on that tent and listening. You, know. uh, you will bear a son. Uh, Sarah heard. And then, Sarah what? Laugh. <laughs> Sarah heard God make his promise and laugh out loud. L-O-L. LOL. <laughs> and God asked, is anything too hard for the Lord? Verse 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Oh, we know the rest of the story. We probably would have, life, uh, would have laughed like Sarah did. So when the baby was born, he was named Isaac, which means laughter. And the middle name is out, and the last name is louder. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> From then on, Abraham and Sarah probably laughed to themselves at the power of God that was able to break the rules of nature and give them a child in their old age. Remember this. It's already past the child-bearing age. That's why Sarah laughed. 
And the Lord said, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, I, I, I want you to, to meditate upon this verse this morning. I don't know what is your situation right now. I don't know what God's promise for you is. You need to patiently wait because nothing is too hard for the Lord. Amen. Number three, God never gets tired. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah made this declaration about the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is what? Weary. Can we say the word weary? Ready, begin. Weary. Louder. Weary. How many of you are weary right now? <laughs> we human beings, we, we grow tired and weary. You know? uh, but the Word of God says that He never faints, or in our words, weakens, or gets weary. He never has less power. And... Of course, uh, after leading the Israelites into their body, not, you know, his strength is still the same. His power is still the same. Uh, as a human being, we get tired, right? Uh, uh, just my, sometimes me and my wife, we eat. And we, you know, we sit down on the table, the two of us. Sometimes he complains to me, I'm, I'm tired of eating, you know. <laughs> She's tired of chewing, Especially if we eat vegetables. I'm tired. We're just eating or getting tired. <laughs> I understand as a human being, we get tired. You know? <laughs> but anyway, that's who we are. But remember this. That uh, the Lord doesn't get tired and, and weak. Well, because there's another passage in the Bible in Psalms 121 verse 4. And this is what the Bible says. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor what? Why, why, why do we sleep? Why, why do you go to bed at night? Rest and what? For those of you who don't you sleep at night and you just play something, you know, and you need rest. We need rest as a human being. Sometimes you are grouchy because you, you I, I don't know if you've seen that clip. And, and the brother and sister, they're just kidding. And, and uh, the girl is grouchy. And, 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 and the brother said, did you sleep? You need a nap. <laughs> when you are grouchy, you just need a nap. Uh, why? As a human being, we get tired, but never the Lord. Amen. He who keeps Israel shall, shall ne neither slumber nor Slip. Meditating upon these words, we will be encouraged. Meaning that God is always watching over you. Number four, God cannot violate his character. The exercise of God's power is always governed, listen, it is always governed by the constraints of his character. Three things about the character are important. His character are important. Number one, God cannot lie. He cannot lie. 
The Bible says that God cannot lie. Titus chapter 1, uh, verse 2. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which is according with uh, the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot what? Who cannot lie, promised before time began. You see, it doesn't say he would not lie, but he cannot lie. Those are two big different words. It doesn't say he would not lie, but he cannot lie. See, there is in God no darkness at all, according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, which means he cannot lie. And so there is no darkness at all in God. If God ever lied about one little thing, his entire character would implode. He, he would no longer be trustworthy in any matter. So God cannot lie. Number two, God cannot deny himself. So in addition to not being able to lie, God cannot deny himself. Why? Because according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains what? Faithful. He cannot deny himself. What God's promise, he will what? Fulfill. When he said to each and every one of us in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. When the Lord God said to the nation of Israel, that land is yours, it is theirs. But the problem with the Israelite nation is they constantly bicker, they constantly complain. See, when the Lord said, Land flowing with milk and honey, that's yours. They keep on not believing and trusting the Lord. That's why they wandered for how many years? Just imagine they can cross that land for 14 days, two weeks. Because of their stubbornness, they wandered for how many years? Just compare 14 days to 40 years. Anyway, it's theirs. See, he is faithful. We are faithless. And God cannot deny himself. Uh, this means, of course, he cannot be nor will be anything that is contrary to his own perfection. Number three, God cannot be tempted or tempt anyone. James chapter 1, verse 13. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. You see, Satan tempted Jesus to do certain things solely for the purpose of demonstrating his power. You remember his encounter with, with Satan when, when he got baptized by John the Baptist and then he fasted for 40 days and after fasting for 40 days, he encountered Satan come along. And you know, really Satan, he knows your weakness and my weakness. He knew the weakness of Jesus as a human being. Remember, Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man. And so he encountered him in his vulnerability. He was so hungry. Satan came along. Hey, you see that rock over there? Satan said, I know. I know. You can turn that stone into bread. You see, 
Jesus Christ knew exactly what Satan is doing because Satan tempted Jesus to do certain things only for the power uh, or, or for the purpose of demonstrating his power. And Jesus refused. Why? Because it was not consistent with his power. Because simply put, God is not a show-off. It's not consistent with his character. Oh yes, he believes in his heart that he can do it, but he doesn't want to be tempted because for the purpose of showing I am powerful, you know, we human beings are like that. For the purpose of showing I'm stronger than you. I am a better Christian than you. That's our tendency, but not the Lord. Sometimes we wonder, again, why God doesn't exercise his power on our behalf. How many of you pray that the Lord will exercise his power on your behalf? The answer is that God only exercises his power in accordance with his purposes. And perhaps you can think now, in hindsight, of a prayer you prayed that God did not answer. That you're glad he did not. Why? Because, again, God doesn't exercise his power at times because he can see the future and knows what is best. God cannot be tempted or tempt anyone. Now, we did look at the biblical, of course, understanding of God's power Secondly, we will take a look at the evidences of God's power. What are the evidences that God is powerful? What does the scripture say about his power? And of course, uh, we know that the scriptures from the scripture, uh, it demonstrate that God is powerful. Here are the uh, three dominant categories by which we know that God is powerful. Number one, it is seen in his creation. Uh, one of the most prominent verses dealing with God's power is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And this is what the Bible says. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his, his eternal power and Godhead so that they are what? Without excuse. I want you to go back, okay? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made with his eternal power. You see, when you see God's creation, when you just take a look at the beauty of his creation, you will acknowledge that there is someone who masterminded this. He's the great architect. It's not Sister Shen. <laughs> the Lord is our greatest architect. Amen. Amen. It's not Sister Shen. Amen. It's the Lord. You know, I appreciate Sister Shen's drawing. They're really beautiful. He's, you know, I admire her. <laughs> but there is uh, 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 the number one, you know, architect. It's the Lord. I don't know how many of you have been to Grand Canyon. First time I've been to Grand Canyon, when I, I saw that, you know, canyon, it's just a canyon, of course. 
In Tagalog, bangin. <laughs> Malaking bitak. And you will really see, whoa! I, 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 I really, you know, enjoy the beauty. Sedona, you know, don't, don't just go out from Arizona. There's a lot of beautiful places. And you will see God's hands on all of this. Amen. With powerful telescopes and space probes, we are now learning more and more about our universe. It is bigger and more complex than we ever imagined. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, even with his little limited knowledge, says that what is visible with the naked eyes is enough to convince an observant person that a powerful God exists. That's why he said, no one is excuse. <laughs> when a person says, there's no God, I don't want to believe in God. You see, this verse is very clear. That's why when they stand up before the Lord, they said, no one is excuse. Because, uh, you know, read chapter 1, Romans, and then jump to Revelation. Revelation, Psalms 19. Psalms 19 is a good reading too. Because in that book, it reveals how God uh, reveals himself through nature and through his words. But I, I, I want you to read that when you get home, not today, okay? But anyway, uh, then there are creation passages in, in, in the book of Genesis. Time after time in Genesis chapter 1, the text reads, or reads, Then God said, and it was so. God did not fashion the earth with his hands. He simply what? Spoke into existence out of nothing. He spoke out of nothing. Psalms 33, 6 and 9 also. When Job was arguing foolishly uh, with, with God, God asked him, and this is the question God gave to Job. When were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job chapter 38 verse 4. And shortly after that, Job laid his hands over his mouth. Hmm. No. One writer commenting on the attribute of God's power pointed out that the same God who created a ring 100,000 miles in diameter around Saturn, created a tiny colored feathers in the wings of a hummingbird. How many of you have seen hummingbird flying on a slow motion? Of course, I don't like look at hummingbird, but they're beautiful. But when you see them flying, it's so fast you cannot appreciate them. But when you put them on, on a slow motion, you will appreciate the beauty. You will wonder who created these small birds, hummingbirds. By the way, when you study hummingbirds, you will really be amazed. <laughs> and you will, you will really say, there is a person who created these hummingbirds. His power and perfection are as evident in the largest parts of creation as they are in the smallest part. 
Secondly, not only it is seen in His creation, but also His power is seen in His preservation. His power is resident in His preservation. What if, what if God had created the world and then withdrawn, allowing it to be preserved or not preserved by itself? Think about it. What if God created Adam and Eve and He just left them? What will happen? You see, the same power of God that created the world keeps the world together. Everything is upheld by the power of His, by, by, by the word of His power, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. There is an interesting passage as well in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 10, verse 13, and give testimony of the ongoing activity of God in His creation. And you, of course, you are part of it. And this is what the Bible says. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. And he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning or lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his what? Treasuries. Now, think about this wind or the air we breathe. Think about it. Did you know I'm thinking really my imagination is bad? Because when you imagine that the Lord will just stop the air that we breathe for five minutes, what will happen to you and me? <laughs> imagine those Jewish folks who were, you know, forced to enter that gas chamber. We will all die. Some, one, one, time, one time I saw a, a post on Facebook. Because it was windy that I think that past two weeks or past two weeks. Here is the stu stupid wind again. I just want to comment. If that stupid wind will stop, you will die. Instead of giving thanks for the blessing of the Lord, we say bad things. Just imagine. God will stop, but he will not. Why? Because his power, his sin in his preservation. Let me encourage you also to turn to Psalms 104. Again, read that passage, but I will just give five, uh, uh, two verses, okay? In 5 and 30, it is one of the most uh, beautiful passages in the Bible on God's creation. And, and, and perhaps uh, the first and the last verses of this lengthy uh, section, it summarizes here. You who laid the foundation of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. 30. You send forth your spirit. They are created and you renew the face of the earth. This is God's preservation to us as a human being. Yes. Many times we, we disobey the Lord. Many times we raise our fists against the Lord, and yet the Lord will continue to what? To preserve us. And that is, of course, His power. Number three. Not only it is seen in His preservation, but it is seen in His resurrection. 
There is no doubt among theologians and probably laymen as well that the most powerful demonstration of God's power is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. You know what? We, we praise the Lord because of this. And if you could choose to know any kind of power in the world, what would it be? Is it the power of the earthquake? Is it the power of volcano? The, the power God exercised to create the universe? As, as mighty as those are, there is an even greater power which the Apostle Paul's desire. And what is that? In in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, this is what Paul said. That I may know and the power of his what? Resurrection. One of these days, all of us will leave this earth. But because of the power of resurrection given to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we will be resurrected as well. Amen. How many of you are sure that you will be resurrected? A true believer in the Lord, we will be resurrected. When we die, the Lord will give us a new body. And that new body, you will enjoy. And that's why if you're listening this morning, if you're not yet sure about your salvation, make sure that you are in the Lord. Because you will not experience this resurrection. Only true believers in the Lord, genuine, born-again believers in the Lord who put their faith and trust in the Lord will experience this resurrection. And that's why the Apostle Paul said that I may know and the power of his resurrection. This morning, we can, we can of course, search the Scripture. And see a lot of evidences about the power of God. But we will conclude uh, this sermon this morning by giving you two ways the power of God should impact your life and my life. Number one is this. We should be excited in our worship of God. We should be excited in our worship of God. How many of you are excited in worshiping the Lord? When we talk about worship, it's not only here during Sunday. Sometimes we misconstrue the idea that worship is only confined every Sunday. No. Worship is everyday living. Pleasing the Lord in everything that we do. That's why we be careful about things that we do. And you know that God is powerful. You, you should be excited. And I say excited, exemplify the holiness of God. At work, you can worship the Lord at work by being honest. When you do the time clocking. This is just one example. And every day that we do, the Bible says that whatever you do, whether you 
eat or drink. We give glory unto the Lord. And when we give glory unto the Lord in everything that we do, it's called worship. And then someday we come here, we corporately sing praises unto the Lord. Lord, thank you. Thank you, you enable me to do all these things. Not because I am good, but because you are so gracious. Remember this, my dear friends and brothers in the Lord, you cannot boast about your goodness. We can only boast because the Lord Jesus Christ is gracious to you and me. Amen. Pascal once wrote that the greatest single distinguishing feature of the omnipotence of God is that our imagination gets lost when we try to think of it. <laughs> have, have you think about the power of God? Have you think about who God is? I want you one time to meditate down. Sit down and think about who God is. When you, when you meditate and when you realize in your Bible reading that God is, is not same like you, you will only humble yourself. You will treat people with love, with kindness. You will only compare yourself with the Lord. You don't compare yourself with other people. Because when you compare yourself with other people, you might be better than them. But that is the, not the measurement. The measurement is between you and the Lord. When you experience and understand the power of God again, I will say again and again, you will just, Lord, I am nothing. All praises belongs to you. When, when the Christian comes to something he cannot comprehend, his response should be to fall down before God in worship. Are there things in your life that you really don't understand? Are there things that is happening to you personally you don't understand? Are there things that are happening with your brothers and sisters you don't understand? Keep it unto the Lord. Don't take control. Because when you realize that you are not in control, God is in control. You will just humble yourself and worship the Lord. Many times we make life difficult because of that. We want to usurp the power of God in other people's lives. The incomprehensibility of God cannot be addressed at the human level. We have to take by faith what is revealed of him in scripture and verified by his acts in history. And then worship him for the part of him which is, you know, told to us but which we simply cannot comprehend. We do not have to comprehend everything about God. 
And God doesn't expect us to comprehend Him. Because He knows. We're human beings. Our understanding is limited. Again, we do not have to comprehend God to worship Him. In fact, we would probably not worship Him if we knew and understand all of Him there is to know. You agree with me? If we are like God, understand and know everything, we will not worship Him. Why? Because we are also God like Him. The mere fact that we cannot comprehend really who God is, that's the reason why we come here every Sunday bowing down, worshiping Him, acknowledging Him that He is the powerful God. And I am nothing. I am a human being. And so therefore, my response is, should be excited in worshiping Him. Number two, we should be excited in our worship of God. Number two, we should be encouraged to walk with God. We should be encouraged to walk with God. Our link to the power of God is this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. And this is what the Apostle Paul said. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead and will also raise us from the dead. See, we have been raised from the dead spiritually by God's power. And he will be, we will be raised from the dead literally one day when Christ returns to receive unto himself those who are his. Unfortunately, not many Christians live their lives in the power of God. Why? It's because I believe most Christians live in the power of their human flesh the majority of the time. They live that way until they run into some sort of what we call crisis. And this call, we call this a power outage. A power outage is a spiritual life it's like going to the doctor and discovering that something has shown up in your test result that he wasn't, you know, this doctor he was not expecting, for which he doesn't have a simple cure. Or it's like going to a work one day at the same place you've worked for how many years? 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, and being given a pink slip and saying your services are no longer needed. Power outage. It's like getting a call at 1, 1 a.m. in the morning telling your child has been killed in a car accident at college. A, a power outage is any of an infinite number of events in life which we are not prepared to handle. Most of us don't touch the power of God until we are overwhelmed with our weaknesses. The reason why the Lord allows those things, those things that we don't expect and we are not prepared to handle them, is that when you are weak, there we realize that there is a powerful God, that He can handle all those things. It is what the Apostle Paul said. When I am weak, He is what? He's strong. 
It is then that we discover that we can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. Amen. The story is told about the father of a vacationing family who, who, cannot, uh, who came across a large sign. And this sign, it says, Road closed. Do not enter. How many of you have seen a sign like that? Road closed. Do not enter. <laughs> so the man proceeded around the sign because he was confident. He, he would save them time. He was lazy to drive around. And, and his wife was resistant to the adventure, but there was no turning back for his persistent road warrior. And so after a few miles of successful navigation, he began to boast about his gift of discernment. His proud smile was quickly replaced with a humble sweat. He was sweating when the road led to a washed-out bridge. There's no bridge. It was washed out. And so he turned the car around and retraced the tracks to the main road. So when they arrived at the original warning sign, he was greeted by a large letters on the back of the sign that they read before. And the sign says, Welcome back, stupid. <laughs> Sometimes... We can have utmost confidence in ourselves to figure out issues or fix problems, right? We, we try to solve it on our own. <laughs> and just like, just like when you solve your problem on your own, and just like that driver, you will see a big sign, welcome back. I don't want to say it again. Welcome back. So, listen. When we let ourselves do that, and when we let ourselves down doing things that are not pleasing in the sight of the Lord, remember this, confidence. Confidence is only as good as the object it's placed in. So when going through life, the wise person places their confidence in an unchanging, all-powerful God. Amen. Oh, yes. We put our confidence on an all-powerful God. He is the El Shaddai. Is he your Lord? Oh, if he is your Lord, let's walk with confidence because he is always with us. Whatever your situation right now, whether you did something wrong, whether you did something right, whatever is your circumstances right now, rely on the power of God. He will sustain you, He will always be with you, and He will revitalize you. Amen. In Christianity, there's no giving up. There's only moving forward. Amen. Because of the power of God. No one is perfect here. Raise your hand if you are perfect. Uh, we will close this church. <laughs> the only thing that we do is to again acknowledge our mistake and everything and let other people see the power of God in our lives. Amen. You stumble, you get up. You stumble, you get up. You know, that's you can see the power of God in that. Again, 
Is there personal issue in your life? Personal issue, what I mean is, Lord, I am struggling with this. Lord, give it unto the Lord. And if you are here listening to this message, one of the will of God for you is for you to know Him as your Savior and Lord. Give your life to the Lord. Surrender your life to the Lord. He will not chew you away. He will not say, shoo, shoo, shoo. No. He will embrace you. He will welcome you. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to again understand your power. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And once again, Lord, this morning we have the opportunity and privilege to remind ourselves about your love, your grace, mercy on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. Father, you help us prepare our hearts to join in this table. If there is anything, O Lord, that will lack our relationship with you, any sin, O Lord, please forgive us so we may be worthy to join in this table. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this morning, uh, it is our uh, communion. I want you to, as I prepare in this, I want you to pray silently. Bow down your heads and close your eyes. If there is any known sin in your heart, confess them to the Lord and ask the Lord to help you be worthy in, in joining in this thing. you to stand up and get your own elements over here.
Our God is a good God. Amen. He was, and not only He was, but He is merciful. He's so gracious. And the reason why we're doing this is to remind ourselves about that mercy, grace, love that was displayed on the cross 2,000 years ago. We're not all worthy, but because of His unfailing love to each and every one of us, He gave Himself to die on the cross of Calvary. We are all sinners, yet because He extended His great love, unconditional love. When we talk about unconditional love, He's not looking about your goodness. That unconditional love is displayed on all of us worst sinners. That's why we cannot boast about our righteousness. That's why the scripture said our righteousness is like filthy rags in God's sight. You cannot boast about your righteousness. Only the grace and mercy of the Lord. And of course, He died on the cross. He became sin for you and me. Remember that Jesus Christ is sinless. But the Bible says He became sin for you and me. And this piece of bread is, of course, a symbol of his broken body. Literally flown into pieces. And I want you to think about this. That's his love. That's his mercy. That's his grace. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, by the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he, he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, this is my body which is broken for you. You do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This is not the blood of an animal. This is the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who really take away the sin. Blood of the animal will only cover it, but the blood of Jesus Christ will take away. That's a big difference. When they offer sacrifices in the Old Testament, their sins was covered. And they do that by faith because the Israelites know that the Savior, the Messiah, is coming. And so what they do in the temple is a foreshadow of the coming sacrificial lamb in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus Christ shed His blood, your sin, my sin, past, present, and future will be forgiven. In the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's due as often as you drink it. A remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Father, all glory belongs to you. Continue to humble ourselves, O Lord, knowing the fact that you are a powerful God and we are weak. So, Lord, continue to help us trust in you and remain in you. And thank you 
for your sustaining grace. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all rise as we close this worship service. We will sing that song, Jesus is your name. And then we will ask Pastor Sasaki to close us in prayer.